Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 13 to chapter 7 verse 1 verse 27 to 35 at the end of this reading I will say this is the word of the Lord and you will respond by saying thanks be to God verse 13 You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Chapter 7, verse 1 and verses 27 to 35. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. 
But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Faye, for that rather long reading. Um, we're running behind time, so I have to get straight into it. But I'll just welcome everyone once again, especially for those who are uh, coming uh, slightly later. All right, so we're in a gospel-centered urban church, as we like to say, and um, we've been trying to live that out in this pre-launch phase before we actually inaugurate in January. And gospel-centered, we're trying to work that out in the preaching series that we've had. So in the month of September, we did gospel. In the month of October, we did stuff that had to do with church. And now in this month, and actually getting into um, other parts of December, before we start a bit of a small series on Christmas, we're going to be looking into this urban nature of what it means to be sent out into Lagos and the things that we deal with and how the gospel speaks into that. All right, when we first returned back from the UK, we had, I had three things in mind that I thought, here are the three biggest issues that Lagosians face. And it was in this order. One was workaholism and burnout. Second was um, uh, identity, an identity crisis. And the third was marriage. On returning back through various conversations and counseling issues, I am firmly convinced that the biggest issue that Nigerians face, that Lagosians face, is the issue of marriage. At least I've met about three, I know about three uh, uh, um, couples that are on their way to divorce. I know countless people who would rather dying, uh, rather die right now because their marriages are crazy. I've heard phrases like, my, my, my husband and I are like strangers in the same house. We live just as roommates. There are constant emotional, physical, and psychological abuses that is going on. And even if you take into consideration the increased, the increased boldness of unmarried living couples and unwanted pregnancies and abortions, or just the sheer fact that people lack an understanding of what marriage is, even among experienced couples. Either people are underrating what marriage is or overrating what marriage is. We see that there is a, a real crisis in marriage. Now let me tell you what I think is the number one cause of that. I actually think it is unpreparedness. Unpreparedness of marriage before people actually get married. That is whilst they were single. Therefore, the crisis in marriage is actually a crisis in single in singleness. You'll be less satisfied in your marriage if you've not been satisfied as a single. You'll be less wise and unprepared for marriage if you've been like that as a single. So as we kick off this marriage series, which we want to do for the next three weeks, it is quite important for us to actually look at singleness because the Bible actually has a revolutionary view of what singleness is. It is totally countercultural and has always been countercultural in every age. And so I want us to look at this topic of radical singleness in three points. Radical singleness, one, you are more than one person. Radical singleness, you are more than your body. Radical singleness, you are more than useful. You are more than a, one person. You are more than your body. And you are more than useful. Look at verse 27 with me. In verse 27, you hear something that is there's something there that you may just pass over, but is absolutely revolutionary. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. I'll take that last part again. 
are you free from such a commitment? That is, are you free from, you have not actually been espoused, you've actually not engaged, you're not engaged with anybody. He says, don't look for a wife. Now, that doesn't ring anything in our own ears. But in that time, singleness was almost seen as a curse. Right? In ancient times, you were either married or you were a prostitute when you were unmarried as um, you are unmarried at, at, at a marriageable age. In fact, someone, a, sociolo a sociological historian called Rodney Stark says that during Caesar Augustus' time that you were fined if after two years you continue to remain a widow. Really, because marriage was seen at that time as something where yeah, only um, if you were single for, for such a long time you were not responsible and also, just personally, you were not secure and you didn't have a future. Now, does that seem that long ago? Actually, in 21st century Legos, I probably think it's even worse. You hear terms like things like, my husband delivered me from my singleness. A friend of mine once said that. Right? There's a way we actually shape people's lives. It's this. All your life, in your teenage years, well, from your adolescent to teenage years, you're, all, you're always in the preparatory stage of marriage, right? And then you go to school. Obviously, at that time, you can't have any boyfriends or girlfriends. But then your, your singleness is seen as preparatory. Once you come out of school and you don't have anyone you're getting married to, your singleness is seen as a taboo or a curse. Work that out. Now, the thing about it is, I think in this uh, Lagos, uh, 21st century Lagos, without using sociological terms or psychological terms, I want to use biblical terms. Marriage has become an idol. And by an idol, I mean a good thing that has become an ultimate thing. Now, this often manifests its way itself in two ways, or a combination of these two. One is marriage is seen as a means of social identity, or marriage is seen as a means of self-fulfillment. So by social identity, I mean, you can just put these words, I am not valued. By self-fulfillment, I mean, I am not fulfilled, or I am not complete. So let's take the first one, marriage as social identity. Well, I've already said, being single is almost seen as a curse or a taboo. For you to be seen as a respectable member of society, for a respect... You notice how, if you're a woman, and you are 33, have a good job, um, you know, people refer to you as, hello, hi, and all that. Once you are, you could be 32, you have no job, you have nothing, but you actually have a husband, what are you called? Madam. <laughs> right? the society puts a respectable status upon us. Or, for instance, if you're single, you're always seen as, you know, somebody who has not got their life together and all that. All of a sudden, you meet somebody, they say, as they often tell me, they say, I'm trying to make this money, get all these things, so that I can settle. So, there is a kind of cultural bias that we have towards marriage. It's seen as people that are married actually are respectable. People that, when you're unmarried, you're actually not, you're just roving around. You've not actually figured what you want to do in life. One way or the other, eventually when you get married, aha, now we can talk to you with the kind of respect that you deserve. And this is the social identity issue. Now, sadly, sadly, this has made its way into the church and actually works itself out through the church. You know how often it is when, you know, you go for a particular wedding and... A single woman, or a single, especially a single woman, let's be honest. Single woman has gone, you've probably finished, you have a degree, you have a master's, you're working somewhere, and you're 29, 
and your cousin has finally gotten married, and then they see you there. Ah, well, okay. Well, that is, your own time will also come. In other words, you can't run away. You get into church, and maybe if you're a Pentecostal charismatic type, one way or the other, that prophecy is going to land on you. By this time, next year. And that one keeps rolling over and over again. I was at my cousin's wedding recently, a 30-year-old, you know, and his wife was 28. And I kid you not, the, the, the longest section for prayer was actually the prayer when, after we finished, you know, the guy had preached and done everything, and now said, now let's pray for the people who are here that are also unmarried. And so this craziness actually works its way out. We have actually embraced marriage as a way of confirming worth or value upon people. Therefore, if you are single, you are not seen as somebody who actually has ultimate value. Again, it becomes this kind of work mentality or performance mentality in that you have to work or do something to actually affirm your value and your worth. Whereas the Christian way says it totally, it turns that upside down. It says that you are created, believer or not believer, you are created what? In the image of God. This gives you intrinsic and infinite worth. Your value does not come whether or, from whether or not you are single or married. And believe me, a lot of married people will even tell you that. Believe me, it doesn't. And so when we have these pressures, whether it's coming from the church, whether it's coming from our societies, when they're put upon single people, what often happens? They are pressured into making married choices that they ought not to have made, and we start to suffer those choices. Sometimes it is the church itself who everyone believes and knows that this person should be married to this person. You actually resist the resistance until you can take it no longer, and they force you guys to get married because they think, well, they've seen a vision or something, and you get married, and it becomes hell. Now, the second one is the self-fulfillment one. If this is our traditional Lagosian view of marriage, which we've inherited from our forefathers, the self-fulfillment one is actually something that we are getting more from the Western urban model. And this is marriage as a means of fulfillment, as a means of completion. Now, think about it in the words of this lyrics from Keisha Cole in her song, You Complete Me. I'm giving all my life and all my love if you promise that you'll be here forever. I'll give you all of me, I'll give you everything if you promise you'll never leave me. Because... You love me, you complete me. You hold my heart in your hands and it's okay because I trust that you'll be the best man that you can. That makes your heart want to melt, doesn't it? And quite often that's the problem, that we hear those kinds of words, they make our heart melt, and they tell us that we are not complete, we need something or someone to actually complete us. Some of us feel that, actually, and there's a friend of mine that I counseled for a long time, this was um, uh, late 2000s, and the, look, she was, many things were going on well for her in her life. But this whole thing about marriage, this whole thing about marriage, she'll cry, she'll do everything. I'll tell her. I said, Look, I am married. And I know people that are married. What if you get married and you don't have children? You are going to start that again. And for some of us, that's the thing. The ideal sense that will be completed is not just the fact that I'll have this love of my life, is I'll also have a family as well. No completion without marriage. So for such folks like that, and maybe some of us that are here, you do feel that nothing, there's nothing that you ever do in life or achieve that matters as long as you remain single. Can I suggest to you that's a bad place to be in? 
That's a bad place to be in, first of all, from what the Word of God says, but it's also a bad place to be in in preparation for your marriage. In fact, this whole self-fulfillment thing starts from the very beginning. Very recently, my wife and I and uh, brother-in-law and his wife went to see probably the best Nigerian movie I've seen this year. Actually, it's the only Nigerian movie I've seen this year, but we can park that. We went to see this Bobby's movie called It's Her Day. Now, if you've not seen that movie, you don't have money, sell your shirt, go and buy it and watch it. It is a hilarious movie. But not only is it hilarious, but it is absolutely devastating on what it, in what it does. It is a social critique of how we have moved away from thinking about the marriage and we think about the wedding day. You pour everything into the wedding day. The, husband, the fact that the husband and the wife and the groom are actually showing many signs of things that will crop up in their marriage doesn't really matter because we need to get the hall, we need to have this color, we need to put this kind of food, what dress are we going to wear, all those different things. Can I suggest to you that is the beginning, the manifestation of the beginning of having your marriage as this whole thing that self-fulfills you. It starts with what kind of picture are we going to show to the world? of what true love is. And then, I'm sure by the time we get into the marriage, I'm going to be this wife that's going to cook for him all the time, and at the same time, I'm going to take care of my children, I'm going to put them into bed very, very early, I'm going to be a model, kind of um, epitome of morality, my husband will call me blessed. Ah, I mean, when was the last time? Now, this self-fulfillment ethic, I love what a particular scholar-theologian says. His name is Stanley Howard. It's a little bit of a long quote. He's at Duke University in the United States. Listen to what he says. Destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primary institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry. And if we look closely enough, we will find that right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. See, we never know who we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a little while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary challenge of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Don't get me wrong. This is not saying people are not in abusive marriages. But it means even the best of us will always change. There would always be challenges. Here is how that brings about a crisis if you adopt this self-fulfillment mentality. You've dreamt you had a fairy tale marriage. Everything was meant to work out well. And then you face the real crisis, which is truly living with another human being. Challenges come up. What happens? You can't face the pressure. This is why divorce rates are rising constantly. Now, I'm not saying again, there are some that are legitimate, but I'm saying this whole view of no-fault divorce is the story that I've set up for myself is actually not working again on certain issues that actually can be worked out. But I found my soulmate. I found the one who completes me. You know, the one who I see butterflies in their eyes. I just see myself. All those different kinds of things will work out to a crisis. Now, let me tell you something. I've lived in the West. This is what actually works out. In most traditional uh, societies um, around the world, um, if you go to maybe more rural towns in Nigeria, is the first one that works out. Lagos is very unique in that we have a combination of these two. We still live in a society where, despite our modern urbanism, we still 
crave the status, that respectable status that comes with marriage. But because of our influence from Western urbanization in the last 30, 40 years, we also see this ethic working out. You see it on Danny TV, people's discussions, you know, all these different things. Now, Paul in verse 31 tells us a reason why we have come to this place. Look at it in verse 31, chapter 7, verse 31. He says, for for this world in its present form is passing away. Paul does an astonishing thing in verse 29 to 30. You may not, don't mis, misread what he's saying. When he says, what I mean, brothers, when I, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as though, as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. And then he says, for this world in its present form is passing away. He's saying you should not be engrossed, you should not be overly given, or you should not worship things that are in this created order because they do not actually translate into the next one. In Matthew 22, verse 29 to 30, Jesus Christ, when he was quizzed about marriage, about, you know, this thing, they wanted to test his knowledge and wanted to put him in a bit of trouble. So Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. And so they say, look, someone gets married, a woman gets married to one guy, he dies. Then after that, her brother, his brother marries her, but that one dies. And the next brother marries her, and that one dies. So it does up until seven. And it then says, in the resurrection, that is in the future glory, what is going to happen? And Jesus Christ, obviously, very devastating, very stupid question, says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry or be given into marriage. You hear many things, just like in this particular song I quoted for you, I want to be yours forever. Why? Because we cannot imagine anything better than the marriage that we can actually get in this world. Our view of the eternal and what God gives us in the eternal has so totally been taken away by the present. And Paul says when you are engrossed in this kind of lifestyle, the eternal things matter no more and actually the, the, the idols start to fight back and actually start to defeat you. You see, Paul, by saying, don't look to those things, he's saying, these things have a relative value. Marriage has a relative value in this world. It's pointing to something in the world to come. Therefore, if marriage itself is temporary, even if you are, ma even if you are married now, that marriage is not going to last into eternity. If marriage itself is temporary, why engross yourself in it in such a way that it is an ultimate thing? If marriage itself is temporary, why give it infinite value or look to it to actually affirm your value? Paul is saying one thing, and hear it very, very well. It's not God's will. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 19 says that some are eunuchs for the kingdom. In other words, what the Bible is telling us is this, listen, it is not God's will for everyone to be married, and it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Now, you're going to say, but Femi, that's a very hard statement. True? Maybe. So, let me give you one example. For instance, I have sexual pressures. I'm at this age. I'm in my late 20s. I'm in my 30s. And, you know, but no firewood. Everything is actually firing on all cylinders. I really can't take this. Well, Paul says something for you in verse 18 of chapter 6. Flee from sexual immorality. This is the problem I have with the Bible, you say. This is the problem I have. It's too hard. You know, okay, fine. 
all right, fine. You know, you have to uphold some kind of ethic or some kind of way, for, um, way of living for life to actually keep going on. But now we're in the 21st century. And we know that the life that was in the Bible, the youngest of which was 2,000 years ago, does not actually play into this role. I remember listening to one very, very popular lady on Cool FM who has a, an English and a Yoruba name, but I shall not call who she, her name, basically says, really, I don't care what the Bible says. Do you think I'm actually going to go into marriage without actually testing sexually who, um, whether we're actually a, 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 we're compatible now, some people are not that flagrantly um, uh, uh, explicit, but so, uh, some others don't openly condemn it because we still have to revere the Bible, but we are, they are regularly active with, our, with people that are not our spouses, maybe some of us here. In fact, some of us actually attend church. But before you actually go on your own high moral horse and start to judge these people, let me tell you truthfully, it is very, very difficult if you're in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s. And actually something, even in the anatomy of, the, of your body, tells you that this can be used for this. It is quite difficult to still hold it together. Now, Paul addresses two particular ways in which we cheapen sex in our society. In verse 13 of chapter 6 and verse 7 of uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. Now, in verse 13, you, you see that place where it says, you say, so he's, uh, it's what they've quoted to him. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. What is this first way of cheapening sex? It is a way that undervalues sex that looks at it as an animalistic desire. You know, I'm hungry. Like now, I'm thirsty, right? So I have to drink something. I'm hungry. I need to eat food. I have sexual desires. I need to fulfill them. And people will talk about the fact that the same way we have human rights is the same way we have erotic rights. How dare you tell me that I shouldn't fulfill what my body is feeling? That is oppression. To go against this is to go against it's a brutalization of human nature. That's what they say. If you have this kind of desire, the desires are there to actually be fulfilled. The Bible will say yes, but probably not now until certain things are fulfilled. Now, let's say you hold on to that kind of ethic. Yes, the body feels that way. It's just really, as some people say, it's just sex. I mean, why are you guys, why do you Christians bang on about it? So, okay, it's just sex, fine. But many people I know, they're in relationships. They're active, actively sexual. They say it's just sex. And then the partner actually goes, and maybe they even suspect that the partner is actually sleeping with someone else. And then rage fills their hearts. Well, no, 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 why are you angry now? It's just sex. Because at the end of the day, I've given you my heart. This Monique, um, uh, Monique, the person they call Monique, I don't know if you know her. She's a singer, but also actually hosts shows in, in the U.S. They are in, she and her husband are in an open relationship. She says, look, my work actually carries me to many different places. He's not always there. And I need to feel this desire, desire. We understand. It's just sex. This is my best friend. I love him more than anything. And so there is a disconnection from, of, the, of the sexual uh, intimacy with actually the emotional and spiritual one. Well, Paul says that if you actually are filled with rage and jealousy because you suspect your partner may be uh, sleeping with someone or actually doing it, you should feel so. Because it isn't just sex. Now, he addresses this 
in two ways. He says to us that sex is sacred, don't cheapen it. You are sacred, you will be satisfied, don't cheapen yourself. I'll, exp I'll explore those two now. Now, if you take that particular one in, verse, in chapter 1, in verse, seven, uh, verse 1, chapter 7, the second view is now matters you wrote uh, about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So on the one hand, this one says we should be having as much sex, no boundaries whatsoever. The other one basically is saying, now sex is not really good. It's really actually a necessary evil, only used for procreation. Right? It's basically, uh, you know, it's this dirty thing. You know, like um, one woman I know, once her, her, her daughter actually uh, started having uh, her period, she called her and said, come here, come here. Now, let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something. If you see a man walking down the road on this place, you make sure you what? Cross to the other side. I always often wonder, what if another man was coming actually there? They stay in the middle of the road. You'd rather die. And that. Anyway, we leave that. But one is actually glorifying overrating sex. The other one is actually saying, ah, you know, sex is just one of those things. It's actually very prudish. In fact, we shouldn't talk about it. This is church. In fact, by right now, some people feel like they want to leave. Like, how long can we be spending on this topic? Uh, well, don't blame me. It's in the Bible. Now, one says that sex is everything, at least to fulfill your desire. The other one says sex is really nothing. Now, this second view actually has led to another kind of objectification of women. If the first one objectifies women by saying they are nothing more than just their bodies, right? Nothing more than just their bodies. This one says they are, their bodies really is nothing but just wombs, really. So, this has led to, this is part of the reason why we had a lot of polygamy, right? I want, this man says, the most important thing to me is to have an heir so that I can leave my legacy. How can we get an heir and legacy? Well, I can't get pregnant. Women get pregnant. So I marry this one. First child, girl. All right. I'll give you a second chance. Second child, girl. Third, girl. What is next thing the whole society and family do? Bring another one. It doesn't really matter who that woman is on. You are just there to reproduce babies. Paul says that there is a radical view of sex that the Bible gives that nobody else can give. It is in verse, 16, verse, verse 16b. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. This is why he said you cannot give your body to a prostitute. Why? Because there is this kind of union, which is both a physical, emotional, and spiritual union that comes very deep and, in fact, in many ways, very mysterious. It shows us and depicts to us what true marriage, true love should be about. That is the sexual union itself. It is not about trying to get and take from someone so that you can fulfill yourself. It is actually you giving yourself to somebody else. You see, true love is not about self-fulfillment. It is about self-denial. That's how a, marriage, a true marriage works out well. You see, this, by saying, by Paul saying, look, you are so expensive. And I'll get to that. But you are so highly valued by God. Why waste? Your body is so valued by the living God. Why cheapen it by actually debasing yourself to just being someone that fulfills someone else's animalistic desire? Or someone that fulfills someone else's need to actually start a legacy? Now, how Paul does this is actually in verses Let's look at verse 13b. In verse 13b, Paul says, The body is meant not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. You see, it now becomes something that is reciprocal. The marriage union is me for you and you for me. 
because it's modeled on our relationship with God. It is about giving, not about taking. But much more, if you go down to 19b to 20, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, here's what Paul is doing. He's saying, we have feelings in our body, but sometimes our feelings, yes, point to the right moral obligations, but not all the time. Paul is saying, there is a certain kind of value a man or a woman gives to you. She writes you a fantastic letter. You feel so engrossed in that. And on account of those words, or on account of the wonderful things she's done for you, you actually say, I'm so valued, therefore I should give myself to this person. Or it's vice versa. He buys you wonderful gifts. He makes you feel secure. He makes you, he delivers, you've had a terrible childhood, right? Never, maybe your dad wasn't around. Your mom always abused you. People actually always bullied you. And now you meet this person who actually affirms you. This person says you have value. I love you. And then you have to give yourself sexually to that person. Well, the Bible says someone else values you even more. For whatever gift, whatever thing that person has said to you, that person has never died to save you. You see, the very price that it puts on people, if you will trust in Christ, is to say, you have a ransom. You were bought at a price. And that price was nothing more or nothing less than the death of the Son of God. But it even goes, even goes more by saying, that is your ultimate value. But he also says something he says that you are also sacred. By the Holy Spirit living in us, he says, we are temples. Do you not know, verse 19a, do you not know that you, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit which is in you? In other words, this, and everywhere you want, every kind of religion, the temple is actually a very sacred place because this is the meeting place between God and man. Let's try not to be distracted. This is the meeting place between God and man. He says you are not just valued, you are also sacred. And the Holy Spirit living in us actually even does something more, you know. He actually says, in other places, it says the Holy Spirit is the down payment of what we receive in the world that is to come. In other words, he's also saying, I've put my marker on you for the life that is to come. Therefore, this one flesh union, as we see in verse 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is also one with spirit in him. This fullness, because actually, whether it's sexual, sexual desires that we have, they're all pointing to a desire that cannot be filled. Look, the married people will tell you here, sex isn't all that you think it is. It just isn't. But actually, it's pointing to something, a soul, physical and soul, uh, uh, psychological and spiritual satisfaction that we all are longing forward to. And the Bible depicts this as saying, when Christ returns, we will have this fullness, this oneness of spirit that we all yearn for. No one can actually give you that. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, the Bible doesn't just tell you, just suppress it. The Bible is saying, here are reasons why to suppress it. And by giving you the Holy Spirit, I give you also the power to suppress it. One more point. You are more than useful. Can I tell you, don't waste your singleness. Uh, society tells us that you cannot be useful until you are married. But the, we've seen that the Bible says differently. Now, if you look at verse 33 to 34, 
It says, a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. That's the truth. Marriage is hard. It says that there in the text. Marriage is hard. And part of the reason marriage is hard is that once in life you could go anywhere you wanted to, you didn't have to answer to anybody, and all of a sudden it's like, where are you going? When are you coming back? Even when you say you want to go to church, at one point the church actually becomes a distraction. Uh -uh, Are you the only person in church? I'm not saying that about city church anyway. But... Our, our attention is divided. It's not saying this so much in a negative sense. It's saying this as a matter of fact. That is, once you are united with a particular person, there is a devotion that is required for that person. And what about when children come into? Ah, maybe some of us that came here a bit late with children, you, 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 you say that is the reason why. I had to bath for this one, and after I'd actually changed for this one, he removed the socks that I put on for him. I started chasing him all around. Do you know... That is what happens. Your attention is divided. Forget this illusion of the multitasking, well-mannered, entrepreneurial, pastor-like woman who also has her daily earth-shattering quiet time. She does not exist. But Paul says, without condemning marriage, because he says, don't be free from marriage if you've been a spouse. He's saying marriage is fantastic, and please come back next week to hear But he's saying if you are not caught up in that, then there is an advantage you have. You can give undivided attention to the Lord. Look at that in verse 35. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now the context that he's saying all this, as we see in verse 29, is in the church. Brothers and sisters. In other words, if you're a single person, you are longing for a family, and don't worry, look, I know... And I'm sure, you know, the Lord feels your pain. But here's what the Lord says. I actually have given you a family through my death and resurrection. I have given you brothers and sisters indeed. You believe the same thing. You have the same hope. You confess the same thing. You share the same God. You share the same Lord. You have the same baptism. And you have the same family. You have the same spirit living in you. Guys, look to the person right next to you. You are brothers and sisters. They are your family members. Even with their bad breath. (laughs) Because of Christ's full devotion to us, we can be fully devoted to him, his body. Uh, We can be fully devoted to one another, his body. And guess what? That family, this family, is going to outlast the family that you have now. Because remember, you're not going to be married in the world that is to come. Our families now are just a picture, should be a picture of the eternal family that we look forward to. Therefore, he turns to us and says, leave that out now. So as singles, there's a lot that you can do. Don't waste your singleness as Christ's body, in Christ's body or his mission. As city church, what we long for is to see an army of singles being so devoted to community. I really want to see more people here who are single taking up responsibilities without being pursued. For the adult, uh, for the uh, married people, it's not always easy. We have to be more understanding. But for you who are single, you can give more divided, uh, undivided devotion. We want to see more single people, more generous. You're not paying any school fees. Even though you're looking for a house, but you're not paying any school fees. Help the parents. Sometimes parents can't get away, uh, couples can't get away because their children are too young. Help them and babysit. <laughs> You should be at the forefront of organizing things, evangelistic events. Push us here in the church. And can I even say one more thing? 
as a huge challenge. If you're a single person here, probably you're not attached to anybody, you should be the first person to come to church. You should be. I don't want to compare ourselves with other churches, but sometimes here at City Church, we're very, very relaxed. We don't want to burden you and all that. So we start church at 9, and then you're strolling at 8.30. Maybe you are meant to be with the choir and kind of 8.15. Can you not come at 7.30? Is it hard? Yes. But was it hard for the Lord to lay down his life for you? Oh, much more. And I'm not just saying this for the church. Much more in all the other things. You see, if you live in this kind of way, if God is truly calling you to marriage, you'll be more than prepared. You'll be more than prepared for marriage. The key to a successful marriage is two people who actually have been well prepared. And we'll talk about that in the third part when we talk about marriage being very hard, in the third um, uh, thing. But it's two people well prepared individually. You will not look for your marriage partner, you will not look for satisfaction in your marriage partner if you're already satisfied now. You will not be a selfish person in your marriage if you're already giving your life to serving all other people right now. And if he's not calling you to marriage, and it's not whether or not you feel it in or not. I know people say that, that. How do I know I'm not called to marriage? Well, if you don't feel it, that's not true. It just doesn't teach that. But if you are not called to marriage, Know this, you are already valued anyway. And the Lord will complete you. He says we are complete in Him. Now if you long for such a family and value for your singleness, but you are not yet, you have not actually known the Lord, you don't actually feel that that ransom was for you. Well, can I call, can I invite you to actually consider Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ says about you? He says that in your sexual immorality or in other things, you've actually greatly sinned. You are alienated from the one true God who's put value upon you by saying you are created in his image. But he says you are so loved that your sexual immorality, even if you committed it last night, should not keep you away from him. It's only in this way you can actually have the value that you're looking for. You can look at people who keep saying to you, Ego better, your time is coming, and say, don't worry, my time has already come. For now is the time of salvation. You can look to them and say, thank you for your concern, but I am happy. They say, no, you're not happy. You say, I am happy. But what if you're actually someone who is a believer? And you actually still, this pressure, you still feel it. There, there are certain things of this message that I've taught you, but it will take a while. I'll say, yes, it will take a while. But that's why he's giving you his spirit. That's why he's giving you his word. That's why he's giving you his church. Ask him to fill your spirit. Fill, to fill you with his spirit. And to long for the time when he shall return. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the entrance of your word gives light. We thank you, God, for considering this very important thing. Lord, I just ask if there are any singles here that do face this pressure, and it's not just something that's on the outside, it's something that they feel inside of them. This pressure that they are not yet complete, this pressure that they are not so valued, that their lives don't really matter. Lord, I ask that through your spirit that you will show them how valued they are in Christ. 
you will show them, oh God, the price that Jesus Christ paid, that no one can tell them anything. Not even their parents actually value them like this. Let them know this value that comes in that Christ so died, Christ died for them. And I pray, oh God, that in, through your spirit, you fill them, oh God, in such a way where they will be able to have this emotion, this intimacy with you even now in anticipation of the time when you will return. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.